Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, fully curricular and back on track episode of Normandy FM, The Last of Us Part 2. Kenneth Shepard, it, it, it's felt a little weird bouncing back and forth between The Last of Us and Mass Effect these yeah. last few weeks. I'm not going to lie. A lot, lot more, lot more podcasting, a lot more editing, just like in the midst of like the busiest time of the year for us. So I'm just like feeling it now, honestly. Yeah. So I'm kind of glad that we're on track. And, it, you know, luckily we timed this up perfectly with all games industry happening so that we wouldn't be completely swamped with other work at the same time, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but on the other side of all those excellent roundtables, which we have already at this point now have completely published and are all out there and you should go listen to them. But on the other side of those roundtables, we brought a guest with us to help a little bit with The Last of Us Part 2. Ash Parrish, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back. I feel like we just heard from you. I know. Days Seems ago. like so long ago. <laughs> mm. Very, very long days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Every day oh. is like a week long right now. An E3 week, every day is a week. Yep. Ash, for the folks at home who may not be familiar, who may not have listened to the roundtable, tell us a little bit about yourself and also specifically about how you got into The Last of Us versus, you know, Mass Effect and all that other stuff. Okay. Um, my name is Ash. I am a staff writer at Kotaku.com. Um, I came to The Last of Us uh, completely against my will. And for most of my time with The Last of Us 2, it had to drag me kicking and screaming through it. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, I was held hostage by that game for far longer than I should have been. Um, I did manage to complete it, um, and I was glad to completely wipe it from my memory once I was done. Because that game, I know know you guys like the game, especially you, Kenneth, but... Uh, I don't have that experience with it. Mm. I'm sorry. I just yeah. don't. It is. It was not fun for me at all. It was about maybe two or three hours longer than it needed to be. Mm. And I don't think it does any of the things that it wanted to do in terms of like being some kind of display of human suffering and revenge and all that stuff is like, <sighs> it was tough. Okay. The Last of Us 2 is tough. Yeah, it's uh, it, like we've talked about it even at the beginning of like the season. Like, I feel like part two is like the far more divisive game of the two, and maybe like in some ways intentionally. Like, I think it is intentionally trying to like push against what some people wanted of this game. But I also like, even with my appreciation for it, I realize like a lot of this is really fucking miserable. And I feel like if you don't latch on to like certain characters, like uh, what, like what they're going through, why they're going through it, then it's like perfectly valid for people to walk away. Like, this is miserable, and I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, I'm glad we got a perspective on here to talk about that stuff, too, because, you know, as much as we are a retrospective podcast, this is this isn't like, you know, like glowing retrospective hour. We're not necessarily necessarily here to like roll out the red carpet and be like, heck, yeah, love video games, consume content and move on to the next Mm -hmm. content. (laughs) Like it's important to, you know, especially if you do like something to be able to still critically examine right. it. So having someone on who, who can provide a little bit of additional insight into maybe what doesn't work for them and, and why that's worth looking at and why that's worth examining is always mm. good. So yep. um, this happy is, uh, to be on for that. And this is an especially uh, appropriate time to be talking about that because I think this is, uh, has some of the worst moments in this game for a lot of reasons. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, 
I'm I'm curious because now like I played this section just the other day, and now I'm going like I wonder which moments they're talking about. So <laughs> this is is it the one I blew up? Was it the moment I blew up? Uh, no, it was not that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, are we gonna get to the moment that you blew up? Yeah, we'll get we'll we'll get there. We'll, we'll, midway we'll through. Get there. <laughs> there's there's a story behind that <laughs> that we will tell when we get there. But as as we start out, uh, we have woken up in the theater that we've uh, that Ellie and Dina have been camping out in, and uh, we hear some radio chatter coming from above. We head upstairs, and Dina is having a grand old time with with the whole pregnancy thing, uh, blasting some chunks into a trash can. You know, it sucks. Uh, and she has also apparently fixed the radio and has been tracking on a map the different. Uh, like call outs and stuff like that, basically using context clues to figure out where exactly uh, all these different places are, where their, their hideouts are, where the WLF is moving around between areas. Uh, Owen, one of the dudes, uh, kind of the leader dude of the wolves that came for Joel, uh, has gone AWOL, it seems. Uh, we theorize that it might be Tommy. Basically, we're still on the hunt for Tommy because as they hear... Uh, there's a dude that's been causing some havoc all across the area and they theorize that it's Tommy. Um, we have a mild, mild reconciliation, very short, uh, before we hear that there are some people being taken out by a lone male trespasser in zone 14, which they figure out is Hillcrest most likely. Um, Dina's a little too sick. We tell her to stay behind while Ellie departs to go find who we think is Tommy <laughs> and uh, Dina gives Ellie a bracelet, uh, which can you have, I do you have that bracelet. Did, yep. Is that a merch thing? Did they sell that bracelet? It, it came with the special edition of the game. Oh, okay. That's nice. Describe um, the bracelet. Cause I don't remember what this is. Oh, it's a, uh, it was one that Dina had that she um gave to Ellie. And I, let me just pull it up. Cause it's really not. Although the one that they sent was a, uh, mine, mine is broken since just because shit happens. Um, but yeah, it was just like a, a bracelet that I think even had like some cultural relevance that I don't think is ever explicitly stated in the game. But, mm. um, yeah, she was just like, gave it to Ellie, take it as a good luck charm. And then Ellie's like, I don't believe in luck, but she does. So, uh, but yeah, I just posted the, the general one and, um, uh, yeah, so Ellie has it for the rest of the game. Huh. Is, so that's not supposed to, you said it wasn't supposed to represent, it doesn't have like any sort of significance in terms of like symbology or anything? I think, it was, a... I think I remembered hearing at some point that there was some cultural uh, significance okay. to it, but I don't know that I ever, is ever mentioned in the game itself. Okay. And I'm going to look at that Because Dean is Jewish, right? Yeah, that was yeah. what I was thinking. Um, I will, I, I can look this up as well. Um... Yeah, no, it's I'm not I'm not seeing anything pop up, but there's uh okay. Um according to a Tumblr blog, so take that with the grain of salt that it is. Um but this seems like it knows what it's talking about. Uh it's a Hamza with the fingers together and facing upright, which means it's acting as a ward against evil as opposed to a Hamza with the fingers pointed down and being spread, which means God is bestowing blessings. The one we see on Dina's bracelet is the warding kind, and the stylized eye confirms this. That is according hmm. to the Tomaskin's Den on Tumblr. Uh, 
and it has a lot of likes and, and reblogs. So take that with a grain of salt, but that seems interesting. Uh, that is cool. I like that. It's a cool way of like symbol, like putting that in the special edition versus just like, Hey, here's a statue. <laughs> well, I got one of those too. So. Oh, okay. You got a statue too. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, we head off to Hillcrest where at this point I, so full context and this will become much more important later. I was playing this section, uh, I believe it was on Sunday night, but I was streaming it into a hangout discord that Ken and I are both in with a bunch of other folks. And so, at this point, I was making a butt of myself, not figuring out how to get <laughs> through Hillcrest <laughs> because I could not figure out the way forward. And and I, I find myself getting turned around a lot in this game. Like, it's very mm. easy at several points to just kind of lose the direction that I felt like the game wanted me to be going in. Mm. And sometimes they broadcast that super well. Like, there's, there's one... Uh, there was one section in this where a light shines through a door and I was like, Oh yeah, that seems like the place I'm supposed to go to progress. Mm. But other times, especially in the larger, more open areas, I would be like, mm. where am I supposed to be going? Like, what is uh, the way forward? And usually the way forward is just like, Oh, Hey, here's this conspicuous door that I have to open manually. That is not already like blown open or closed, you know, mm. able to be shimmied through in some way or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think, but on, like on that note, I think the interesting thing about part two specifically is I feel like it's in terms of like environmental kind of uh, like a lot of the areas in this game look very samey because like it's all taking place in yeah. Seattle, and whereas mm-hmm. like part one was like a you know cross country trip and so like there were a lot of different environments and there will be you know chances for them to like change up like how everything kind of looks and like the uh, the environment sort of like the artistry behind the environments. But for mm-hmm. a lot of, like, especially, like, these three days that Ellie is here in Seattle, it's, like, a lot of, you know, dilapidated buildings, a lot of uh, a lot of green, a lot of flooded areas. So it can be a lot easier to kind of, like, lose its sense of direction. Because, like, I, I feel like it, in, like, part one and, like, Uncharted, it, it seemed like Naughty Dog was getting pretty good at, like, signaling how you're supposed to progress, even in the, the more open environments of Uncharted 4. But part two is so very clearly in one city for the majority of the game that it yeah. feels like the environments don't have that same variety. Yeah. It's a lot of dilapidated overgrown buildings. Uh, mm. And I don't mean to sound reductive because they are very beautiful dilapidated overgrown buildings, but it's just that like, um, I mean, at multiple points in this game, we find ourselves in like coffee stores and stuff like that. And, you know, it's supposed to be an accurate representation of Seattle's and that's, shit ton of bookstores and coffee stores is an accurate <laughs> representation of Seattle. But um, yeah, there, there were points. I think it's also just like the urban traversal is so often like you are trying to just wedge yourself through various places that, you know, Oh, you know, I can get through this crevice over here or I can hop over this doorway over here. And, and it's not the sort of like wide, you know, big banner here you go this is where you're supposed to move video game traversal it's more like how would a human being navigate right. this stuff and so in some ways that's a little bit more interesting but in other ways i'm like look i'm i'm, I'm dumb <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm stupid i would not be able to do the things that ellie is doing you need to broadcast this a little bit more for me <laughs> mm-hmm. um 
and it's it's not like I got completely stuck uh, outside of one area where I just completely got turned around, but uh, it, I just have noticed it a little bit more. Mm. But the big open areas do lend themselves a little bit more to the storytelling, which is interesting. I thought some of the ambient storytelling, in, in especially in Hillcrest, was very good. Mm. Um, we have this ongoing thing about an archer who's super good at doing arrow stuff and <laughs> doing archery. <laughs> um, but his daughter was uh, uh, apparently killed for, for protest art uh, for being a nuisance. Um, and he basically turns around and, and creates a ton of problems for other folks and then gets turned in by uh, people within the QZ so that there won't be any problems there. Uh, and that becomes a really interesting storyline as we discover more stuff like a garage full of zombie or infected and all that. Um, we eventually discover a note that uh, oh, someone named Yolanda found out about a plan to turn on Boris, the, the super archer, uh, drugged a bunch of the people who were going to turn him in and put them in the garage. So they all turned. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, and that's who we get our bow from is this, uh, is this super archer, um, which, Hey, we've got the bow again. That's nice. Let's talk about that before Yay. we get into the attack dog stuff, uh, which yeah. is a lot more. Yeah. Um, um, bow whips ass in this game. Bow. They like answered every one of my problems with the bow in this game, uh, compared to the last nice. game. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a normal bow to control like you're not right. doing that weird thing of hold l2 to draw it back and then hit r2 to, to like launch it once you've drawn it back enough and all that and i was like it's not how bows work no. so having having a little bit more of like okay aim with l2 and then draw and loose with uh r2 felt a little bit more natural uh because then also like you let go of r2 to put the bow down and and loose mm -hmm. your own in a more natural way um yeah. But also just like being able to craft arrows is super nice uh, mm. and, and adds like another resource that you need to think about. I think adds, they do a lot more to add more dimensions to the stealth because also then I was thinking about, okay, I've got this many shots left in my pistol silencer, which is more accurate. And in this, like in this game, I think that's much more of a consideration you have to take into account is like, okay, I have a gun that's silenced. So mm. when do I want to use bullets? When do I want to use arrows yeah. which can be crafted but cannot always be reliable especially at long range um mm -hmm. even though i did get one sick ass shot from across <laughs> like across the map uh with an arrow in this one i felt very good about mm -hmm. um and you can also as we discover in a training manual create explosive arrowheads which are a gift from <laughs> above uh those things fucking rule <laughs> if this game did not want you to kill people they gave you too many ways of doing good killing that's that's my take so far if you don't want kill why make arrow boom boom exactly <laughs> like i'm sitting there and i'm like okay this game is is giving me like especially in this section uh giving me situations where it's like you should feel bad for the killing you're doing and or, or the, the killing you're doing is really eth ethically questionable. This seems bad. And it's like, hey, you want to make more Molotovs? And I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, There's no option for, like, you can't Metal Gear Solid this game. You can't go through, like, on a pacifist run, can you? You might be able to, like, 
Oh, actually, I think there are like story kills or whatever. I don't know if those count. I think it would I be think, possible to like at I least like except for in the, some the scripted sections. Yeah, like yeah, because there are a lot of sections that if you can get to the exit, you can avoid an entire confrontation. But it also mm. just like. I don't know, like, you don't have the shit, like, how, like, can't you, like, Metal Gear Solid, like, you bring up camouflage and other shit, and, like, you can blend into environments, and, like, I just feel like you're kind of left with the more practical means of stealth in this game, so I think well, it's... Well, even in Metal Gear Solid, though, like, if you put on the cardboard box, if an enemy walks over and sees, like, a cardboard box in a place where there shouldn't be a cardboard box, he's gonna be like, oh, I should check this out. Mm. So, like... There, and the same thing happens here in, in Last of Us Part Two, where if you're in the short grass, you can hide out there. But if somebody literally walks on top of you, like they're going to notice you. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think ghosting. I mean, I, I talked about and there was one section in uh, Last of Us Part One, I think, in Pittsburgh, where I completely ghosted a section where I just walked by a bunch of enemy groups and didn't start any like didn't even take anybody out, just like completely got by all of them but i think especially in this game it feels like that is much harder to do thanks in part to the addition of attack dogs uh who i they if i had to point to a reason as to why my play style has become increasingly more violent in this game as compared to the previous one it is the attack dogs because i feel like stealth becomes just more and more untenable the longer these encounters go on uh not just because there are like more enemies and they're being smarter about searching around and stuff like that but the attack dogs add an element of you are eventually going to be hunted down no matter what um you know they can follow your scent they'll bark they'll alert people um I just feel like this game was designed in some ways to not be fully stealthable all the time or be extremely difficult to fully stealth all the time. I feel like you have to go loud in so many situations. Um, I could appreciate that, honestly, given the game's ethos, apparently. It's like, yeah, no, you're, you're not going to be able to do this the nice way. And you don't, like, why do you want to, right? yeah. I mean, even though it's, you know, practical in some cases that Mm -hmm. she does, but. Part of it is definitely a little bit more freeing, too, because now I'm like, I have moments now where I don't set up, like, ways for me to get past things. I set up ways for me to kill the most people in a single moment. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I will stealth take out somebody and put a bomb on their body and sneak away and then line up the Molotov so that way whoever goes to check his body will get blown up. And then as everybody else stands around in horror, I throw the Molotov at them and take them all out. And I'm just like, cool, yeah. No, That's I'm... real Geneva Convention violations right there. <laughs> well, Damn. look, this I, there's one person walking out of this. It's going to be Ellie. <laughs> um, so, so, Ash, do you, do you tend to go loud like in these when you, like, if generally in self Well, okay. So I'm a bit, I'm a baby, right? I'm a big baby. If I can avoid combat, mm. I will. But the act of hiding is stressful yep. because I'm anxious mm-hmm. of getting found out. So, like, I guess one of the combat things that I liked about The Last of Us too is like, but it it's never so as stressful. Like, say, um, 
like Resident Evil Village or whatever. Mm. Like you can kind of like hide, but you're always going to get found out. Like, but that was like some, I don't know, that was like a, a worse kind of stress. This was kind of like the fun kind of stress, like trying your best to hide as much as possible and mm. kill as stealthily as possible. But understanding that, you know, eventually you're going to have to, you know, get loud or whatever. Right. But I, I like that it was an escalation up until that point because, you know, you could hide and not fight and like pass by and whatever but now like your option to hide has been taken away from you or like mm. severely modified and I, I i appreciated that little subtle ratcheting up of the the difficulty i don't know it feels i i, I appreciate when games kind of like do that to mm. you and and i appreciated this like i i love dogs um i have a dog mm. i kind of don't understand like i've never really quite gotten why we we hold dogs as sacrosanct as we have in video games for like maybe the last i don't know 10 years because mm. you know you were shooting dogs left and right in resident evil yeah. like nobody cared uh-huh. or anything like that you know laura croft would shoot right. hella dogs like in the first you know tomb raiders or whatever and i don't remember there being a moral outrage about it but now like you should pixelate a dog and like you have committed right. uh, no you know the greatest sin a video game can do and I, i've never quite understood that so yeah. i don't have a problem breaking a dog's neck i hate the little sounds they make right i feel like it <laughs> no one clipped that yeah I, I almost feel like it, it comes from like the post like we write dogs era of the internet where like almost i don't like you know like dogs are these precious small beings that we all love and you know not, I'm not, to say, not to say that, like, dogs should not be valued, but it's, like, I, I do think that it just kind of comes from, like, a certain era of online. Because um, I, I, my, I generally am also, like, most, like, I'm mostly fine with, like, that in comparison to the other shit that happens in this game. Because I right. do generally, like, I, I lean stealth as long as I can. Um, and my, one of my, uh, my, my sort of, like, figured out how to take care of the dogs and compared to... Everything else, like, you take out the owner first, then the dog, who does not understand what an arrow means, per se, is not going to, like, immediately <laughs> yell that something's happened, but they will stand, stand at the owner for a second, then you take the dog out. And that's how you do it. And it's, um, I, like, I, I do like what you think, like, it, it, eventually you are going to kind of have to go loud, and I think, it's, it's a, like a, for some reason, the, the, the comparison that comes to me is, like, a, it's like Jenga, like, you're taking out one piece at a time until it all finally comes oh, crashing down. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I do, like, it, it is, it was still wild to me watching Eric play, like, I've never seen Last of Us Part Two played like he played it, and that was, yeah. I, I think that at least speaks to, like, there is a lot of uh, options given in terms of, like, the ways that you can accomplish things, but also in terms of, like, the, uh, the skill trees and stuff, like, you are more able to kind of, like, spec into certain ways of play, because I have mm. managed to get through... A majority of what we've done so far are mostly stealthing. Like, I, d- I did have moments where I had to get loud because I got caught. But um, I think that, like, I, you could watch me and Eric play the same section completely differently. And uh, Eric's being mildly horrifying is, like, shows that, like, this game can be played. It, there, there are a lot of viable ways to play this game, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. They just made it too much fun to, like, blow things up and shoot things and... Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, granted, I'm also playing on... I, I bumped the difficulty down a notch for this one because I wanted to get through it in a single sitting, mm-hmm. and I knew that some of the combat encounters in this one were going to be a little bit tougher. Mm. Um, and, and we are time-crunched as is right now with, with E3 and such. So I was like, I want to get through this in about three to four hours. You know, I don't want it to take, like, you know, six hours or whatever, um, which is what 
when we did day one in Seattle, I think it took me like six hours to get through that section. Um, so for this, I was very much like, uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm going to bump it down a notch. And honestly, I find myself enjoying it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the, the one thing that I'm not wild about. We'll just talk about it now. Cause it's more, we'll just talk about it here while it's natural. Um, is that whatever difficulty I bumped it to, um, clickers are no longer one hit kills. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of weird to me. That's like uh, a fundamental change. Yeah, that suddenly changes a lot, and I think I would actually like like that to be a separate toggle if possible. I know there are already like a billion different toggles in this game uh, as far as what you can adjust and change, so maybe that is a thing somewhere. But uh, I thought that part in particular was a little bit weird. But um, like just having more not 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 necessarily abundant resources because you still have a cap on everything that you Mm -hmm. can use, and so. Mm it was more like I was having more options to refill that cap between encounters, but within each encounter, I got to work with what I had rather than like, you know, I, w- I wasn't having to make the max of what resources I could hold stretch across four encounters. I was getting to use th- the max of what I could hold across like two encounters instead. And, you know, like be able to replenish over time. So maybe in one fight, I'm leaning a little bit more heavily on my revolver because I'm out of uh, regular handgun rounds uh, because I was doing a lot of silence killing in the one before it. And uh, maybe my shotgun is more important here. or I want to save it because I know that there might be some infected later and I'd rather be using the hunting rifle here. It was just letting me like explore all the different ways that these things can interact. And yeah, like, let me make a lot of Molotov. <laughs> Found a love for the Molotov I did not have uh, before. And there is one very specific section that Ken was just horrified watching me play. But uh, we'll get, we will get to that. It's in it's in the park. It's in the second the the second combat section. We'll call it of this this entire thing. By the way, we did not say it up front. Up front, we're doing day two, so this is all of day two in Seattle. But we are moving one specific portion which is the flashback at the very end of day two uh we'll be talking about that next episode mostly because that will fit thematically better Mm -hmm. with how we're trying to cover stuff here so um yeah we decided that ahead of time but uh okay if you are playing along uh that day two reveal that that flashback is is next episode um Anyways, gotcha. <laughs> uh, so we we go through just I mean just a whole bunch of killing. <laughs> we just do a whole bunch of indiscriminate killing. I was doing all kinds of wacky stuff like uh, leading a dog on my scent trail and then planting a trip mine for it to run over on the stairs and stuff. Um, I. Um, Mm, okay. I, I okay. would. Maybe we wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, so I. Well, the other thing I was gonna say is that like I. I do get some of like the okay, the dog stuff is messed up and and for sure. But I would just say that like the violence in this game, like the dog thing has never really bothered me. But it's more like the way that people die in this game in general, and like the amount of violence and gore in this game had me thinking a lot about how we portray violence like like basically it's that like age-old adage of as as like stuff gets more uncanny and our our representations of violence 
can get so gratuitous at times to, to the point where it's so realistic that's disconcerting. And then it goes even a step further because in a video game, you tend not to have like, let's say natural violence. It tends to be like very amped up violence. Mm. It tends, you know, it needs to be a little bit dramatic. It needs to be exaggerated in a way, the same way that like, you don't move like a human being when you're acting in a stage play, you need to be a little bit more exaggerated for the audience to kind of get your, your intentions and stuff like that. So, um, I found that my, my violence thing is not necessarily like, Oh no, you kill a dog, but more like there's a section later in this game where you, you kill this, this section where you kill a character that was using a certain video game console. And while Mm -hmm. I was playing, I was like, Oh cool. I wonder, you know, you can break glass and stuff like that in other parts of this. So I was like, I wonder if you can break this said video game console and Ken can attest that I uh, availed myself of every option attempting to destroy that video game console. <laughs> it's uh, a PSP, isn't it? Vita. It's a Vita. It's a, it's a Vita. It's a Vita. Vita um, means life. Yeah, a Vita playing Hot Mo- Hotline Miami, which uh, I also oh, were noted. They really playing Hotline Miami? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, mostly like. It was funny because I didn't realize that was in this section because as I was playing through this part that we're talking about right now where you're moving through the houses in Hillcrest, I'd killed everyone. And, like, in some cases, it was, like, trip mines had, like, dusted some people and there was just, like, all these horrifying remnants of what I'd done everywhere. And I was like, man, this reminds me of Hotline Miami where you have to walk (laughs) back through a level after you've, like, done what you've done. And just kind of like ration that with yourself to like, oh yeah, I did all of this in a frenzy of bloodshed and violence. And now I'm walking through here making sure I didn't miss any supplies <laughs> and stuff. Um, and so, but yeah, no, when I was doing the, my experiments on trying to break said PlayStation Vita, um, it caused havoc to other parts of that room and maybe a body that was in that room. And I was just sitting there like, oh my God, they modeled all this. They like, accounted for all of this potentially happening and so i think that's maybe the thing that gets at me more about the violence in this game is like man somebody had to put that in here that bodies mm. can do this and that people can have these things happen to them and stuff like that and that's the part there's a lot of times where i shot somebody with an arrow in this game and i know i hit them in the dome and instead they like did the whole arrow to the neck blood curdling gurgle sort of thing that's the shit that fucks me most Mm, like it's not the the hardcore violence it's the choking noise that fucks with me more than anything else because yeah like like not to say that you know oh it's humane ways of doing anything but there there are definitely times where i'm like this game's taking about like two seconds too long like just kind of Mm -hmm. basking in the violence of the moment and that's you know kind of typical for this game i found yeah that's on brand yeah but i think if you do it too much then the times when they really want that to come across like hey at the end of this episode (laughs) um kind of lose some of their luster they lose some of that like effect because now it's like you're not like oh wow ellie's really you know joel's really interrogating this guy he's really getting violent like that worked in last of us part one because you didn't have that every single time you killed somebody. But in this game, like every time I kill someone, I'm like, Ooh, that, um, 
like they died and they screamed and they bled everywhere and their friends all called their name and were like, no. And I was like, every death is a little micro event, but it makes the macro events feel a little less punchy because of it. Um, I might be putting the cart before the horse in terms of how I felt about this section of the game, but um, yeah, we, we move on. We, we go through a whole, whole lot of killing as we hear a bunch of ambient dialogue about the scars, who is this other uh, aggressor group towards the wolves. Um, and now they're theorizing that maybe us, the trespassers are working with the scars and, you know, we're getting ourselves more and more involved in this, you know, faction war that's happening in the middle of Seattle. Um, we, we end up in another run through a bunch of chaos scene where we end up in a place where somebody grabs our mouth and, and hides us. And we think it's somebody attacking us. Turns out it's not, it is Jesse. It's not Tommy that all these wolves are hunting down. Oh, Jesse is that in was Seattle. the reveal. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of dogs, the golden retriever has arrived. Oh yeah. The little puppy. Fuck this dog. game, man. <laughs> uh, um, f- funny thing about that scene though is that that um in one of the uh, the trailers they uh like the first time they ever showed Joel in this game they switched Jesse and Joel to kind of like hide what was actually happening in this game. So that was always a, a funny thing to like get to the scene like oh that's what this actually was. It's also kind of weird to me i don't know maybe i need to go back and rewatch the metal gear solid 2 trailers or something like that but i don't know that there was ever an outright like we swapped the characters in this thing but that's become more of a thing as technology has advanced because i know there were like screens from uh was it infinity war or whatever where they digitally edited out a character so you didn't know their fate until you watched the movie or whatever that sounds like something that might have happened i don't know who it was um i think it was i think it was like Gwyneth Paltrow's character was like edited out of a scene so you didn't know whether she lived or sur- like whether she survived mm-hmm. the snap until you watched the movie. Which is, I mean, it's I mean, it's an interesting like kind of phenomenon, but it, like I don't feel really much one way or another about it just because like they're trying to showcase their game and like it, that is a problem that this game had throughout its entire marketing was that they were intentionally obscuring things in ways that both, I think, which, like, made sense to me, but also, like, you are deliberately writing a narrative in the public's mind that, is, that your game doesn't actually engage with, because I feel like we were dealing with, like, like I said this before, like, the, it would very much seem like this is going to be a barrier gay story, because they were implying that Dino was going to be the one that died, that it kind of made all this uh, revenge that we were going on happen, and, uh, yeah, so it's just, it's, I feel like it's an interesting thing that you can do when you are, like, taking into account all of the things that you are going to like all all the fallout that can come from it and yeah so like it's an interesting thing but i also feel like it it is that that same marketing is kind of like some of the backlash ended up happening for this game anyway Mm -hmm. yeah i just i i take it a little bit like a a level lower and i'm just like why would you put that scene in your trailer then (laughs) like if you have to like do stuff to like you know confuse and and disorient and stuff like that i'm like why just put that why put that in the trailer? You know, I, I think uh, I think they were trying to decide that it was Joel in the in the first place because like they had yeah. said that this was a revenge story, and if Joel is in none of the trailers, the they're gonna be like, yeah. why would like everyone's gonna immediately know what happened? So, I think that was just uh, probably the reasoning behind it. I don't know. I feel like there's ways you could do that, but hey, I'm not the person who is marketing this game, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, we then get like 
what might be honestly one of my favorite scenes so far is that the car escape when you're in the truck Mm -hmm. getting away with Jesse. Um, Not only because you have to do more murder to get to the truck. And I thought that was funny. I was just like, yeah, you pretty much have to kill these folks to get into the truck. But then you have this scene where you are just dealing with all kinds of enemies that are bum rushing the truck and like frantically shooting at them. And it was just like, this was controlled chaos in a way that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, It was an uncharted set piece. Yeah. Yeah. It felt very uncharted, but without the Mm. like, instead of making you feel like a hero, let's say, instead of making you feel like a super cool action star, you were feeling like desperately escaping mm-hmm. for your life. Yep. And I think they got that part across very well. Cause it wasn't like you were speeding up and immediately lining up for the perfect headshot and all that. Like there were times where I was like, Jesse hit the freaking gas. I need to shoot these guys. <laughs> like, mm. um, it, it, it got desperation across very well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll tell you what, Naughty Dog can do a damn tone. Mm. Mm-hmm. For sure. They, they can do an action set piece, too. They, I, I'm coming around now, even though I've never played in Uncharted. <laughs> mm. um, and we get back to the theater. Can I, can I drop this here now, just as like an, a, a take, just as a, a, a take to drop onto a thing? Okay, that's the, what we do here. The so, theater, yeah. The theater becoming a hub feels a little bit weird to me because like it's not that far from where the school was and the fact that during the course of this episode we will have ellie coming and going from this theater multiple times Mm -hmm. uh i'm just kind of like man the wolves are really bad at patrolling (laughs) seattle (laughs) you'd think this would be a little bit more obvious (laughs) also that the theater is like lit up and drawing power and that a generator is theoretically making noise on top of a rooftop. Like, I don't know this maybe well, on day three, it well, takes him a whole 24 hours to discover it. But well, Eric, maybe, um, I'll just say like maybe that might prove to be their undoing at some point in the possibly. Story. Yeah. Who yeah. could say I'm just, Hey, I'm dropping that here now is that as I'm playing, having played this game for the first time, uh, I, I'm just going like, man, this seems like a bad idea. It seems like somebody in this group of now three should have thought maybe we should move locations. I think I thought about that too. I think there's like a part where you come back and like it's the it's the dark, but the theater is like lit up, and I'm like, mm-hmm. can nobody see this shit? Yep. Like scars or the fire, yep. or not the fireflies or the W WLL for whatever. Like this seems a little conspicuous. Yeah. Even the bloaters in like down underground are like, oh, I think there's something over in that <laughs> building over there. <laughs> is that what a bloater sounds like? Yeah, that's what a bloater sounds like. <laughs> mm. Look, it's better than my Zaid impression. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what I want is a bloater that's actually Zaid Masani from Mass Effect. <laughs> oh, Vito. Um, oh no. <laughs> um so we we head back to the theater. Um there's a little bit of weirdness that I was detecting. I don't know whether this is intentional or not, but like the way Jesse comes in and Jesse and Dina are like talking and all that. And obviously Dina hides the fact that she is pregnant. She just says that she's a little sick. Um but Dina's just immediately like, oh, hey, Jesse, yeah, you know, let's get your boots off and stuff like that. And Ellie just kind of gives a look. And I was like, are what, you know, what are they, where are they getting at? Again, I, I want to know what they're driving at with this whole 
baby storyline and what sort of stakes it's going to set up and what that's going to say about Ellie and, and Dina and and their characters and stuff. So mm. I don't I don't know. I'm still kind of waiting for what the resolution of all this is going to be. Mm. Um, oh, so you're playing through this. You haven't finished it. I have not finished it. I know some of the major plot points purely by cultural osmosis. So I knew the big, um, obviously the, we can talk about it now. I knew that Joel yeah. died. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then I also, I know, I know the reason why there is another location in this game and a decision that a certain character makes and that that causes some friction. Um, I'm interested to see how that plays out because that is literally all the context I have is that there is a choice that is made by a person to get re-involved in something. And, uh, and that's about it. Other than that, I I really don't know much else about this game. So. Um, Interesting. Okay. That interesting. I know. I know. It's something that happens. Weirder (laughs) seasons where we're like, I think we had this with Jade Empire as well, where Ken had to kind of play uh, coy to some of the things mm-hmm. that he knew was coming uh, because I had never played Jade Empire. And so with The Last of Us, we've, we've had to do this as well. So, um, Same but, with Andromeda as well. Yeah, and Andromeda. Well, I mean, I knew I'd played like half of Andromeda before we started that season, but... Um, especially some of the later stuff in that game. I had no idea what it, what it was going for. Um, but I think with the last of us, I think it, it is important to kind of look at what it's doing in the moment as much as what it's doing when it's all said and done. Cause this is like a game that's very much like has good in the moment moments when it wants to like, especially in day one, when you had like the guitar scene and all that, uh, we do always talk about the violence and like the big, broad strokes of these games and the big twists and all that. But um, it's interesting to kind of look at what it does, like how it gets to that point as well. So this is me trying to justify my own ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we take a quick break in the theater, which is where we get another flashback. I'm sensing a pattern with this, by the way. Mm. Um, But we jump back to now two years earlier uh, and Ellie is out on patrol with Tommy. Um, you know, Tommy's talking about, he's got some, some problems back home and Ellie's thinking through some stuff. We kind of get the sense that maybe some stuff is still bothering her. It might be lingering from stuff from some things. It might be some other things that we're about to learn about when we crack open her journal and find out that uh, this is when, uh, she and Kat have been dating for a while and they kissed and they're like officially dating to some capacity. And Ellie is now wondering how she's going to tell Joel and how she's going to get that across. Uh, she has a line in there. I don't know how he'd react. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are some other things in here, a little like stuff about Ellie worrying that she's going to infect Kat by, by kissing her. Um, which was, I thought that was like a neat little Mm. inclusion in there. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm glad you, Ken, you were encouraging me to always be checking this journal every time we have a flashback or whatever. And especially this section and the one that happens at the end of this day that we're not talking about until next episode. But like, those are two very good 
journal yeah. entry checking time. <laughs> you know, they, um, do, they do do a lot of like they they kind of plop you into these flashbacks without context. So that's like, I mean, I think there's enough like in the spoken stuff and like the actual scenes that unfold. But it's, it is nice to get kind of like a more like baseline framing of where Ellie's at in her life, and that's why looking in the journal. Yeah. Ash, how did you feel about the flashbacks specifically in Last of Us Part Two? Like, like I... having a bunch of these. They were fine for me. I, I appreciated um, context mm-hmm. uh, a lot. You, you know, just you know, just see what everybody, what the gang's been up to. Mm. Kind of like fleshing out, you know, go back to flesh out or to inform stories that happen in the future yeah. and stuff like that. Like, I had forgotten about um, the tattoo girl that Ellie yeah. was involved in mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I, I appreciate I appreciate that they're there. I think it was weird how they chopped it up a little bit, like how they're interspersed throughout the mm. the the game. Mm. Um, I think some, but yeah, I mean, sometimes you need those kind of like tonal breaks to calm down and like distress after all the bullshit right. that leads up to getting there. Yeah. So they're, they're fine with me. I, I, I don't prefer flashbacks as ways of telling stories, but mm. they were fine for this game. Yeah. I think what my my takeaway even at by the time we get to the end of this is I feel like well actually let's put a pin in that like my sort of takeaway about the flashbacks in general I can talk about more when we've seen this one through. Yeah, um, we do. I the Tommy's gun is super sick, just the <laughs> sickest gun in the world. And this whole section where you just get to like shoot infected with it was just like it was dumb, silly, fun. It was a nice little mini game. Um, mm. lots of little mini games in this one, like just little things that are like, oh, this this will be interesting. This will mm. be neat. Um, and no fishing. Uh, we, as we do it, it gives us like time to like chat and and kind of think about stuff. I think, which is good because this game gets very little downtime otherwise. <laughs> and uh, Tommy, uh, you know, says he's worried about Ellie. He's trying to figure out what's going on and eventually as we as we find out when we go to the resort nearby we find joel playing the guitar uh, and joel suggests that we should get some new strings on it uh and that's when tommy slides right in and is like well why don't why don't y'all head down to that music store over there uh and i'll keep lookout up here while you do it very very sly tommy very good mm. um oh thank you ken for passively aggressively highlighting something in the gene talks. <laughs> um, gotta keep you on track somehow well what i thought okay what is the the thing you want to talk about here because actually well because like we talked about that. no because like the context and like why tommy is like trying to make them go like be around each other is because like apparently ellie and joel are just like not speaking really um ah. and like he says like you have to say more than hi and bye every time you see each other mm-hmm. and uh mm. you know we're like looking through her her journal we might be like hey maybe this is because she doesn't know how to explain to joel that she likes women because like we as we talked about in these past few episodes it's like she doesn't have like any sort of reference point for like what it means to be queer in this world and she is like all she's really got at jackson is like clearly like she is one of the only people there that is queer and like doesn't like clearly sees that she's different and doesn't really know how joel can react to that so that might be something that's over her head might be something to do with the fact that on her birthday, like a year or two ago, she was like, you know, maybe giving reason to the question things. And yeah, so yeah, there's just like mm-hmm. a lot that uh, like they're, they're not speaking. And so Tommy is like 
forcing the situation for them to be in a room together and right, right. talk their shit out. I think it's interesting that you have all these like very human mm-hmm. situations, mm-hmm. very normal human situations, like at the literal end of the world. Yep. Like, I don't know, I have to worry about coming out to my pseudo father figure, right. but and as though there were nothing greater in the world going on at that moment, you know, yeah. I think that's interesting. And yeah. it, I always I always fall into this trap of thinking like, oh, the, it's the end of the fucking world, people. Right. Like, seriously, uh-huh. why is this a thing? Mm-hmm. But it would actually very much be a thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. it, it's good to have uh, a reminder that like, you know, even at the end of the world, humans are humans are going to human. Right. And sometimes that means they're going to act like assholes and not rise above, you know, their circumstance or situation. Yeah. And there's even some... That- Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that that's something I wish were almost more prominent in this game because I do find myself, like, all the combat and stuff is great and all, but there are times when I'm like, okay, another combat scene, okay, another combat scene, okay, we're doing this. And the Seattle thing, I it, it feels, I mean, it, I guess this is a good time to bring it up, as any. I was going to bring it up when we got to it later uh, in the next area, but this game has a very video game structure to it. And like you have a list of people that you are hunting down and you're going to go to each one and they're each going to be in their own area. Like that's a very like it's a very video game mm. structure. Like there there are some talks and stuff that have been done in the past about how like video games can construct themselves after stuff like uh Enter the Dragon and all that, where you have like floors that have bosses and stuff like that. It's not like we're necessarily dealing with, you know, boss fights and levels and all that, but it still does have a like the Seattle parts of this game have a very video game structure in that they're kind of always giving you a thing to hunt, a place to go, and a, a discrete area to do it in, and all that. Um, and I do kind of wish there was a little bit more of the Jackson stuff that we got at the beginning, where mm. we, you know, that is novel and interesting and unlike video games is like how do you deal with stuff in a town that's trying to honestly become a normal human city again while the world around it is falling into, dis- into disrepair. And I feel like right as that is starting to get interesting, we get launched into the the hero's journey that we do out to Seattle and get caught up in this stuff. And I'm not sure outside of the flashbacks if we're ever going to really get back to that again. So, I mean, that's why I like the flashbacks, but mm. it's also... Uh, made some of the parts of Seattle that feel very like more, more gamey, more questy to, to not have the same impact on me. Yeah. I, I feel like the, in Seattle stuff, it is a lot of it is kind of just like within the theater, like within the confines of where they can be like anything more yeah. than like survivors and killing machines. Um, although there were like certain points, like in like, day one where we did find, go to the record store and, you know, play it, play a yeah. song for Dina. Yeah. And, you know, so like they are, I don't even really know that they are any more or less prominent than they were in part one, because part one was a lot of, uh, you know, like, very clear, like, distinct levels, and it's kind of like you happened upon things that, like, were character moments, like, were characterization, um, like, stuff in Pittsburgh, like, when we're in the toy shop, and Sam and Henry are arguing about the toy, and then Ellie, like, sneaks it uh-huh. past him, and, like, you know, yeah. all these little things, and they, they are kind of, like, often bookends, like, the, the sort of, like, the bigger like character moments are like the bookends to each of the sections which is kind of how things still are here it's just kind of more in one place like again like like when the majority of the stuff is set in one place it can all kind of 
blend together more, I think. But mm. yeah. But speaking of uh, human human things, yeah. before we before we go talk to before we go talk to Joel, before we go down there, um, one of like my favorite little things here is that you can look around the cabinet and uh, Joel has like a Savage Starlight comic and has apparently been reading them, and it was also a moment that like really kind of spoke to me in terms of like how much the two of them are giving towards the relationship, like, who's giving and taking from the relationship, because, like, Ellie's mm-hmm. barely speaking to Joel, like, doesn't really, like, know how to communicate these things, but Joel wants to, like, have something to talk to her about so he gets invested in one of her interests again, like, like he did with, like, the museum. It's, like, very much mm-hmm. caring enough about Ellie's interests and, like, the, the specifics of what she enjoys to try and, like, have that touchstone, like, have that thing to connect over. And they just, like, as we're, like, writing down, they're talking about, like, the minutiae of these comics, and I'm, like... And, like, Joel's like, this isn't really my cup of tea, but it's, like, getting into, like, the sci-fi comic story. And I'm just like, that's fucking cute to me. It's a, it's a very good dad moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it's, he like... get that opportunity. Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, made myself sad. <laughs> I think that's, that's a thing, and, you know, maybe because I'm playing through Mass Effect at the same time right now, but um, I think in games you frequently just have like acts of love be a thing where it's like i'm going to flirt with you now <laughs> like i'm going to hit the flirt button and all that and and that does work but i think that having moments like this where you can see like over time especially that like joel has a very specific way of showing how he cares about someone and you get to see that reflected in when he you know especially is feeling distant from someone or wants to give someone something really special or or meaningful like he has ways of doing that. He's obviously like a giver. He likes giving mm. things. He he likes taking interest in in sharing those interests, or at least like encouraging them in other people. And you've got the whole as as you're riding the horses down towards the the area where you're going to go check out the definitely not a guitar center. Um, there's <laughs> a whole conversation you can have where Joel is talking about like one of the story arcs in the Savage Starlight comics, and. Uh, at first he's like playing very, you know, like he's only just briefly read them and he's not intimately familiar, but then he starts, you know, like kind of letting in a little bit more detail and stuff like that. And, but still very like dad, like where he's just like, Oh, that was, that was a real fracas they had around the death match and all that. Mm. <laughs> and like, and it's, it is like, a, it is adorable. You can tell like he's making an effort while also trying to hide how much effort he has right. put into it and all that. It's, it's very sweet. And I think that's, that builds their relationship up a lot because now you're not just seeing like, Oh yeah, these two are clearly in, you know, care about each other and, and, you know, care about the people around them. But like they, they do it in very distinct ways mm-hmm. that, um, that express that. So, yep. um, we, the, the way into the store is caved in. Uh, oh, we also have a nice little Easter egg where we see that Ellie is obviously uh, gotten taller a little bit, does not need a boost anymore. Yep. <laughs> so Aww. there goes there goes one Last of Us part <laughs> one mechanic. Um, but the pathway into the store uh, is is all messed up. So we're going to go through a hotel. So we're going to make a, a squeeze through uh, a place and open a door up for Joel. Um and we get a really good conversation in the hotel where Joel says, there's spores in here, put your mask on. And Ellie complains a little bit about having to wear a mask because it's just them. Um, and Joel takes a moment to be like, you haven't been telling anybody else, right? You haven't told Dina or Jesse or anybody. 
And Ellie's like, no, of course I have and all that. But I feel like that, that part also helps to maybe sprinkle some more doubts into, mm. into Ellie's mind about things. Just like the insistence, like, no, nobody can know. Nobody right. can find out. Um, we we keep on moving through. We get some ambient dialogue about like whether it might be someone from Jackson. Joel notes that no one's gone missing from the town other than a couple of teenagers a year ago. Uh, we get into all kinds of just lots of fighting infected. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. I this was the moment where I was glad that I bumped the difficulty down because good lord, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a bloater <laughs> and then there's a section in the hotel. Uh, lobby where we're fighting off all the infected and the clickers that are jumping down and stuff and I was like Whoo. and and there's there's a, a part where we can get low on uh, health or just as, as long as the fight progresses where the bloater will grab us and it looks like it's about to do that awful awful kill and then Joel comes in and, and saves us uh, mm. and all just very tense moment um, yeah then it immediately kicks back into like just the the character shit, like just hanging like hanging out and hanging out and talking. Yeah. Like it's like it's, it doesn't even phase them anymore. Yeah. And why should it? Yeah. No. That like, that, is, that one specifically, normal. I was like, uh, Ellie almost just got her her jaw snapped in twain by by a bloater. I feel like we should at least take a little bit of a breather. <laughs> but um, the part after this, where Joel mentions that Jesse has been asking a lot, you know talking about Ellie a lot and, and Joel's like, Oh, it's, it's something going on there. I got a keen eye for these types of things. And <laughs> oh, it's, bless, oh, bless your dad. heart, Joel. No. Like it's, it's played as like a laugh line, but my fucking stomach dropped because that is so fucking real. Like that was, I mean, it's like to get personal in the podcast, like that was why I ended up coming out finally to my mom when I was 18. Cause I was like tired of hearing like comments about a hypothetical like wife that I was going to have. Cause it's just like, that's not mm-hmm. like that. You know, when they don't, perceive that that is like there are other possibilities like you get that shit and so i was just like fuck like joel like doesn't realize that he's saying anything that might be like might bother ellie even in the slightest but i was just like yeah that's a that's a moment that's that happens to any queer kid that's not out to their parents yet yeah yeah it's uh i mean it just it builds on top of what ellie had already had already written in her journal already like you know saying Oh, I don't know if I should tell Joel yeah. and, and whatever, but um, yeah, <laughs> it blesses. He has he has only the best intentions, but he is absolutely a dad from yep. Texas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the same man that called Bill's uh, partner his buddy. Uh huh. Oh right. Yeah, your that pal. Yep, buddy. <laughs> Just guys being Good for t- Harold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah standing one town apart <laughs> um <laughs> uh but yeah uh they they get through even more infected and stuff and they get into basically this like um coffee shop type area uh yeah. and uh they find some corpses of of the teenagers that had left jackson uh one was just a dead body and the other wasn't infected. Um, and the note basically says like, we were tired of hearing about suffering outside of Jackson. You know, we're living so well here and everyone is suffering so much and we want to go help, but they only got about an hour out of town before a horde descended on them and they got bitten. 
uh, they'd planned to both end their lives. Uh, and the, the guy shot, uh, the girl, but could not bring himself to do it himself. So he turned instead. Um, and this is where Ellie gets very emotional again about some of the hospital stuff. And that all bubbles back up because obviously like they didn't die from being torn apart by the infected or anything. They just died from the infection and they Mm. had to do this because they got bitten. Um, and I, I I just want to say real quick, I felt like that was important because I think something we talked about in the finale of last of us part one was like the idea that maybe immunity wasn't even as important because even if the bite infection would not be fatal, um, you could still run into situations where like, yeah, you know, the bite won't be fatal, but getting bitten, you know, a dozen times by a bunch of different infected would still probably kill you. Um, that suck. Yeah. And, and so I thought that was a good way of like recentering what this was about. Um, and, and like showing that, you know, this, the infection is the big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe that was just for me personally, yeah. but um, I thought that was it was good. But um, and and you know, Ellie, I think the the writing here is really good because she doesn't just start start up again with like, "Oh, tell me what happened" or whatever. She's like, "You told me that there were dozens of people like me. Mm-hmm. I've never met another immune person before. Have you?" And <laughs> Oh, the animation in the scene is so good. The mm. character animation's real good. Um and and they, they mentioned that, you know, they could be hiding it. Joel's like, Oh, they could be hiding it. Do you believe that? Is this now the time for this? And they just start going back and forth. Um and Joel kind of puts his foot down, he's like, Ellie, there was no cure. There's nothing that could have helped these people or anybody else. Uh is there is there something else you want to rehash? And she's just like, No. And they, they leave, you know, having not really solved any of the problems and potentially yeah. having resurfaced, you know, I, I feel like the implication up to this point was that the distance might have just been that Ellie, you know, has a girlfriend and is trying to figure out how to breach that subject with Joel. And now they have surfaced even larger problems in their relationship. Mm. <laughs> um, that have suddenly taken much higher precedence. Mm. Uh, as we will soon learn, yeah. but but like woof, this scene, yeah, this scene in the other flashback really hit. Yeah, um, before we before we talk about it specifically, Ash, let us know going into this game, what was your feeling on Joel as a character, as an Fuck entity? Joel. Okay, the, I was just trying to. Like, we're, we're three for three now, of like our guests like are just not Joel fans, and um, we we might we might be Joel fans over here. But uh, I, it, 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 I, I mean, it's a, it's a very. I understand yeah. it. I, yeah. I understand the decision. The decision that he made. I, I don't know. I I would have a hard time. Mm. Yeah. Thinking about if it were my surrogate child, right. and if I had already lost a child, what decision I would make? I feel like I would make. Nah, bro. Like it. I I would want to, because you know. I don't know can or I don't know how far you've gotten I don't know what I can and can't say based on like what you've seen so far. Anything but it's like I would want is, is game. Okay. But I I I would want Elliot to have made that choice herself. Right. Yeah. I, I I hate that Joel took that from her. Right. 
Um, I, I think I hate that. And then and then lied to her about mm. it and continue, and persists in lying about it. Like, I understand why, but it's like, mm, I don't know. I don't know, bro. Like, what was the, like, like, what's the point? Like, oh. I just I just look at the human weight, the cost mm. of taking Ellie that far. And yeah, I guess, you know, how do you measure one life against all those lives or whatever, especially yeah. if this life is so dear to you. But it's like, damn, man. Like, ugh. I, mm. I, and, have, I guess the weight of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have an addendum to that. And this is not to be like, oh, but what about this? But it is a new nuance that I had not thought of when you when you mentioned like, that wanting Joel to have given Ellie that chance to, to make that choice. But by the time Joel gets up there to the operating room, like they're about to cut her open. And so I, I felt like the implication at least was that the fireflies did not give Ellie a choice either. Obviously Ellie did not opt into that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like, and that's kind of like a nuance that the game is going to be playing with kind of throughout. And that is a whole other can of worms, but it is interesting. I think like, how you feel about Joel, it kind of will also, like, it's, like, one of the things that will color you in terms of, like, how you feel about this game kind of going in, because, like, there is kind of, like, a a common, uh, I don't know if criticism or just, like, a point that people make. It's, like, if I were Ellie, I wouldn't care about Joel anyway. So, like, that, it's, it's, I always, like, to kind of know where people are coming in to this game just because, like, I think, think it kind of, that can be, like, kind of really center you on characters that you might prefer by the end and... So I think, and it also is just like, I think colors with people think about these uh, flashbacks as well, because it is like, you kind of realize that Joel's realizing that maybe this relationship is on borrowed time at this point. And that's even like in the museum as well. Like he's like, hey, don't, don't think too much about the firefly graffiti that you're looking at and like, let's, let's go. And here he's like trying to shut it down. Like there was no cure. Let's focus on anything else other than this. And, um. Uh, yeah, I that is kind of like what my feeling is on the flashbacks in general is that they are constantly like leaving you like wondering what the state of this relationship was because like if she was seemingly at this point on bad terms with him, why is she does she feel so compelled to go to Seattle and do what she's doing? I think the thing that we are grappling with every time we talk about this is in the language that we're used to using with talking about video game characters and especially I think you're right coming yeah yeah coming out of Mass Effect I was thinking about this a lot too because I think video games like look at Mass Effect look at Persona look at Fire Emblem uh they're more often like the conversation becomes do you like this character do you enjoy this character do Mm. you prefer this character and that's because it turns it into like, again, it, it gamifies the idea of spending time with someone and like, Oh, I want to hang out with this character romance, this character. And I want to max out loyalty with this character. So you're like making options to like press this button. Yes. I want more of this character, please dispense more. Um, and, and like, that's just how the video game functions, right? Like that's the function of the relationship and it works for those games because they're built around that. Um, but the last of us is not intended to function in that way. The last of us is no. mm. a story that you are playing and you see this a lot more, especially if you like, you know, in, in novels and stuff like that. And this is not, I'm not going to turn this into like, is the last of us a novel? And so I'm like, no, I'm not here to start Start? that. (laughs) I'm a young man still. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's, I I do find myself thinking about it a lot because we even raised this in last of us part one that like, Joel is a character that is making decisions and you are playing the results of those decisions. 
So Joel can be a compelling character without necessarily being someone that you like. Mm. And like a lot of my favorite novels have characters like that. Like go read East of Eden and you will find characters that I do not like who I still find really compelling as characters. Mm. (laughs) And um, I think Joel falls under that for me because I think no matter what a character, if they're going to be good, does have to have some reason for you to want to care about this person. And whether that is just exploring how they can grow and how they can change, uh, or just, you know, seeing the ways in which a person can do terrible things and still be a doting father figure and stuff like that. Like that all makes, that all is what makes Joel a a, a compelling character and somebody that you want to care about. And I don't think that, it's it's necessarily a case of yeah it is interesting to talk about like do you like joel but also like do you agree with joel or do you find joel compelling and um my my long way of saying that like that's maybe what a lot of the fan fandom stuff misses with this and and when i say fandom i don't even mean like fan fiction or anything like that i mean like open the replies to any Sony tweet (laughs) and that fandom, Uh, especially the ones who seem really mad about a certain character that we haven't talked much about yet in this game, but we will be talking a whole lot about once we get to certain sections of this game Um, where it's like, they feel like there's been some sort of slight committed against them and Mm. all that. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, this is just a, a story with characters that do things like that's, that's why this game is good. That's why you still give so much of a shit about it that you're making tweets about it year, you know, a year later is that these characters are clearly compelling. <laughs> so, Yeah. We've been affected with permanent brain worms <laughs> yes. because of video games yep. and the, the way that, you know, things are set up and have been set up in the past. They have a tendency to like factionalize this. Mm-hmm. Like, you, mm-hmm. like, are you a good person or are you a bad person? And we tie them to things that you know aren't necessarily you know good or bad or even gray mm. like i kind of want to amend my statement on joel's like i think he's a great character i personally don't care very much about him yeah. um i don't really care about him being right or wrong with the choice that he made or anything like that i did it was distasteful i guess i would say yeah. at least to me but I, it wasn't right or wrong and if forced to make such a decision myself I don't know what I would have been able to do so like as far as that's concerned alright me and Joel you're cool and then like feeling a certain way about Abby and her people versus Ellie and her people is like I don't think I think we're missing the point here because mm-hmm. Joel did some shit right. and he got the consequences of mm-hmm. it yep. yep. that's just point blank mm-hmm. period that's, it just is what it is Like, it, and it's not like necessarily a good or a bad thing it's just like he did some shit and some shit came back to him. Mm-hmm. I can't fault. Yep. I can't I can't fault or find I can't fault. So the way that people react as vitriolically as they do to Abby is like kinda weird to yep. me. For sure. Be, because it's like, uh I, I, I get it. I get it. It it all makes sense. Yep. Like, all right, I'm just glad that those are those people's problems and not mine. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean it does I think it does ultimately speak to that that people are like, Oh yeah, Abby did that that was terrible. I can't believe Abby did that to Joel, my Joel. So, but, but fucking her up over that, you know, we got no problems with that. (laughs) We're cool Mm. with this because it's justified. And Hey, maybe this game is going to make comments about that, but, um, that's, yeah, I think there's, you know, whether you end up liking this game or not, I do think that there is more interesting things to talk about than it, than what generally gets talked about in this game. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. and even when the game itself is kind of missing the mark on those points, it, 
it it does do us a service to at least like look at this game in the way that it is and not necessarily the way that we might try and factionalize it yeah 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 Yeah, there's you know the common thing of like you know is it doing what it set out to do is is a more interesting question than oh my god they killed my favorite character i can't believe you do this (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so now that we've dealt with all that conflict and friction baggage yeah yeah <laughs> let's get into oh yeah this section won't have any baggage whatsoever um None. uh we're we're taking care of a wound dina comes in and, and takes care of us jesse has passed out because uh as we heard jesse has been left the day after ellie and dina did but uh you know, really, really hauled it to get up to Seattle and obviously was just in the middle of all that fracas in the zone, the Hillcrest area that we were in. So he's taking a bit of a, a breather. Um, and Dina mentions that she didn't say what was going on because it wasn't really the right time to, to bring that up, which like, hey, Dina, making smart choices right now. <laughs> Now's really not the time for that. <laughs> um but Dina has also tracked down one of the eight people that we are looking for. One of the eight video game bosses that we're looking for. <laughs> um, uh, Nora, who we believe is at the hospital collecting supplies. Um, but it could be that she might be gone by the time Jesse gets up. So Ellie decides to take it upon herself uh, to head out and, and chase down Nora herself. Um and as, as we, we start making our way there, I'm suddenly confused now because I, I lost sense of place here all of a sudden. <laughs> We're uh, in the apartment complex. That's where we are. Yep. Um, oh, right. This was the... Is this the apartment complex the, with the, the workbench? The workbench that I made you go get go to. Oh, my <laughs> God. My, yeah, I said earlier the truck was one of the best moments in this game, but that workbench might be the best moment in this game. <laughs> So there's an apartment complex that we get into and there's a workbench in there. And in this apartment complex, there's a bunch of different apartments and there's one door that you can't open because it's locked. And so as you head over to the workbench and you activate it, you know, you go through the typical flick on the light, look at your gun and all that. And then somebody grabs you from behind and a bunch of wolves have jumped out of the locked closet and attacked you. (laughs) And, Good. I mean, when I was playing with y'all, y'all were not doing a good job of hiding that something was going to happen at that workbench. <laughs> y'all, y'all might have given it away a little bit. I just wanted to make sure you found it because you did almost walk past it. <laughs> I said, I said, like, oh, there's a workbench. Let me just go check the other. No, apartment. I mean, like, you, then... you almost worked, walked past the apartment. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You could have just been like, hey, there's some supplies in there. I'm just saying, y'all kind of walked me to that workbench a little bit <laughs> where I was like, okay, what's going to happen here? But um, that was still a pretty good moment and probably would have legitimately terrified me had I had I stumbled upon it naturally. Um, and when we were playing in, in our group Discord, someone else mentioned that there was, I think it's actually front of the show, J.B. Gwaltney, had posted a video of it that they put a, a trip mine down in front of that closet and then mm. went to go activate the workbench and it blew all the wolves up, which I was like, that's oh, funny. that's very good. Uh, me and my sicko brain over here who enjoys <laughs> the last of us violence was like, good, good work. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, 
we we keep moving through the stuff. We also find I I want to put a pin in this because I feel like it's going to be important, even though again I don't know whether it will be. But we find more graffiti of this feel her love mm. and all that. I feel like they are building up to something with that. So I will personally put a pin in that because I'm interested to see where that's going. Oh, oh. okay. I have an idea of yeah. a better <laughs> idea of where you are now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're about um, to get introduced to what that means in a minute anyway, so. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we we go through uh, this, the whole stalker segment where we're uh, just dealing with a shit ton of stalkers in this sort of like office type building uh, where I was trying to be stealthy and be a normal Last of Us player and then said, <laughs> screw it, and pulled out the shotgun and just dealt with the stalkers the old so fashioned anyway, way. So anyway, I started blasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my approach to this game where I'm like, I'm trying to be stealthy. I'm trying to play this game the right way. And then somebody's like, I think there's someone over there. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine. If that's the way you want to do this. Um uh, but we end up tumbling out into the river and down into the sewer, into the sewers and up into a park. We're in a nice little park area. And uh, we find some scars who shoot us in the shoulder with an arrow, uh, which does damage to us until we pull it out. Uh, the scars are cool. This is a cool enemy that we fight. I think they're fucking the, terrifying. Like the whistling the is whistling very good. The arrows. The fact that they can They're sneak much around. They're quieter. Yeah. 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 Like, they are the stealth enemy. It's cool. I didn't think stalkers were that neat, honestly. Like, the fact that stalkers are stealthy and all that is is fun. But they're also kind of bad at hiding. So, like, I'd frequently see one thinking that they were totally hidden behind a wall or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, and just throw a Molotov over there and keep moving. Uh, but the stalkers are stealthy and they're smart. And mm. that's scary. And they use arrows and stuff. So even when you do get hit, you're not always sure where it came from and all that. Like there were multiple times where I was getting turned around and scared by stuff. So I was having a good time with it. Um, yeah, it's 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 good stuff. I like the scars as enemies. And we also mm. get to learn more about them in the world because they are stringing wolves up. Like this is yep. this is a gnarly scene we have come in on and it's it's a bad time. Um, and they do that live, right? Like you watch them. Yeah, there, there is. Yes, that first scene so, for sure. Should should I <sighs> talk about this now? I guess. <laughs> so we get to that scene where a wolf is being strung up, and there are like at least four scars all gathered around them, and they are interrogating this wolf. And I'm looking at this, and clearly there is a discussion going on. I try to let it happen for a little bit. But to me personally, I'm like, okay, they're not going to get any information out of this person. I'm not learning anything new. And so I knocked up an explosive arrow. <laughs> and I was like, hey, they're all gathered around this wolf. And it's a wolf. They're going to want to kill me anyways. So I can really kill two birds with one stone here. And I just launched an explosive arrow at the wolf that was strung up and it blew up and it killed a bunch of scars too and i pretty much wiped that combat encounter in about two seconds so really i wait feel kenneth like... had a problem with this my well my the thing that initially like i was like whoa 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 was because they do have like ambient dialogue that references another thing that we're going to talk about later um and another character that we haven't met yet but i was just like okay i guess if you just 
and th- it was mainly just a point where I was like, oh, Eric plays this game completely different than I do because I was like <laughs> playing t- in like the like the the grass that was up here. It's like it's fairly overgrown around here, so like you can like just kind of like stealth through those things. But I was just like, oh, okay, I I guess there are just gonna be parts that I'm gonna have to fill in Eric on later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just look, I'm I'm being. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to take some scars out and I don't let the opportunity slip me by, you know? Fair enough. I appreciate that. I mean, that was smart. You did the right thing. Valid. Yeah. It's fine. Well, then I'll just say like there, they, some of the scars have a conversation about somebody within their community that did something, something bad, um, apparently. And they were like feeling so bad for that character's mother. And, uh, they also like said that the mother. Oh, should, I see. Yeah, and that their mo- yeah, yeah, their mother yeah, yeah, should yeah. have like been more in tune that something was going on, something was wrong. Um, we'll t- we'll pick that up in a few episodes. I was gonna say like yeah, let's tell tell dad's like you know yeah. Eric will remember yes. this, but he won't because he actually missed exactly. It <laughs> <laughs> that wolf ain't gonna remember it either. <laughs> um, but do we talked about this while we were while I was playing through and you were watching? Do we want to like? say something about that now because i know i now know which character you're you were talking about and do we just want to kind of say that there's going to be some stuff moving forward yeah, in the I, game with... i guess that's, that's a good warning to give to anybody that might be playing along with us that uh there is a a character that is going to be dead named frequently in this game uh we are going to avoid using that name out of respect and just let anybody know at a time that that is something that is happens in this game yeah so there, there is a character that is frequently referred to by, uh, by a dead name by characters that maybe would not be so accepting of said things as a plot device. <laughs> but um, we will, we will be endeavoring to just uh, adhere to who that character is. So um, that that's that moving forward. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Wanted to get get that out, and also, you know, like <laughs> I will try not to blow up any more exposition <laughs> as we play this. <laughs> I like how you flame frame that, like blowing yep. up exposition. <laughs> That's funny. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so after we're we're done with more murdering, um, and we move through the park, uh, we also have to deal with. Yeah, I didn't know what to call this either. It's just a big fella with with a hammer, uh, who was kind of fun to fight. Like maybe it was because I was on the lower difficulty, so I wasn't gonna like die immediately. But I was having fun, just kind of like almost dark soulsing this dude, like just kind of dancing around him and dodging and slashing him. It was kind of goofy fun. I enjoyed it, but uh, I I imagine that dude is probably a lot more terrifying Mm. when there are more scars in the area. And, and you're being chased by him because it was just kind of like a one-on-one fight for me. Uh, so I imagine maybe if he had backup, that would be a little bit more terrifying. Mm-hmm. But I was I was just kind of like Dark Soulsing this dude. <laughs> um, again, I play this game very differently from Ken. <laughs> um, we finally get to the hospital, uh, and we we are working around. Uh, we hear that. Uh, a woman has escaped. Uh, Isaac's not happy about it. Um, oh, I imagine that's the thing we might have just been talking about. Um, or no, is that a no, different thing? That, I don't that's know. Something else. Something else. Is that something else? Oh, no. Okay, you know what? Eric's going to stop guessing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then we meet 
the star of The Last of Us Part <laughs> 2. The most important character in The Last of Us Part 2. Um, <laughs> Miss Vita herself. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, as I call her, Miss has extremely good taste in handheld video game devices. Yeah. yeah. Um, Vita means life, which means the Vita can survive a lot. I mean, I was blowing trip mines up on that thing and it was not being destroyed. Uh, can't say the same for Miss Vita, uh, who we interrogate for some information and then very sillily, uh, pulls her own knife, which was a mistake. Uh, come on now. You could have just left in peace with your Vita and hotline Miami instead. Uh, oh God. We are forced to 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 do murder, uh, which I feel like this is also the game suddenly being like, "Hey, murder!" Ellie's doing a lot of it right now and is maybe starting to have to come to terms with the amount of murder that she's been doing up to this point. Mm. Um, put a pin in that. <laughs> mm. Eric will remember this. Yeah, <laughs> Vita girl will not. Oh. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and we keep uh, we we go through kind of a scavenging area with a bunch of tents and stuff where we can do more murder, and then we head up into the vents to uh, track down this Nora character. We can hear it was a good day blasting through the speakers. Um, we hear them talking about Abby, uh, and then we drop down once we've got Nora all cornered and pull a gun on her. Uh, and I'm suddenly remembering that this was like, this was a gameplay trailer at one mm-hmm. point, right? Like this was a trailer that we yeah. saw at some point from Vita up till the Nora thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, n- you know, Nora realizes who we are and it's basically like, what do you want? Uh, we could have killed you. And Ellie's like, maybe you should have, maybe you should have stayed the fuck out of Jackson. <laughs> um, and, and Nora really like, you know, rubs salt in the wound a little bit calls calls joel a little bitch that got what he deserved um and she takes the opportunity as ellie is a bit frazzled to run off and we have to chase down nora through a bunch of more you know running through areas uh we finally come up against her as we're standing over a chasm that seems to be over a bunch of spores and stuff and we decide to drop her down into the spores because well you know they might not know this we know this like spores don't bother us um as we go tumbling down nora escapes meanwhile some squads with masks on come down uh we have some more fighting with infected and humans in here uh more chasing nora until we finally find her against a door that's locked and she is gradually succumbing to the spores and that's when nora realizes not only you know that ellie is the girl from jackson but that she is that girl um Mm -hmm. and you know ellie asks oh you firefly because clearly nora knows who she is um she says there's no fireflies anymore uh and ellie's like you gotta tell me about abby like you're gonna die but I have the option of making it quick or making it real real slow (laughs) and um Nora starts to get a little bit mad, says that there's so many deaths because of the choice that he made and, and what you did. And Nora says, I'm not giving up my friend. And then we have 
Oh, yeah. Okay, Ken. I'm glad you put this note here. I'm glad you phrased it this way because I was wondering how you're going to feel about this moment when we got to it. I'm glad that you were on board with me. This really bad moment where we have button prompts to beat the shit out of Nora with a pipe. And... Yep. Oh. Yeah, so fuck this game. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it is relentless. It is relentless and like I I, I it it I I was already like well turned off of mm. the game like long before this. Mm. So it but if I hadn't this definitely would have been the moment. This game fucking sucks, yo. <laughs> and beating to death like one of the only black mm. characters that gets mm-hmm. to speak is probably not a good fucking look, yep. considering all the other black characters that die in this game in horrible circumstances before this right. point. I'm reminded of the other Firefly from the first game. Yep. I'm reminded of Ellie's first girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of this. I'm reminded of a bunch of other characters that bite it later that I'm not going to ma- name yep. right now. I'm like, fuck this game. Yep. It's, and it's also, like, it, it feels distinctly different from the other, like, equivalent scenes for, like, the deaths of the people that came to kill Joel. Because it is so focused on Ellie, specifically. And, like... Like, damn. Mm-hmm. Bitch can't even get a, a, a face in her own right. scene. Like, like yeah. damn. That's how invisible, like, people of color are in this fucking game. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, in terms of, like, eh, disposable, mm. I guess. Like, damn, we're not even going to give you, you know, the dignity. Right. Yeah, and... And like I think that like they're trying to frame it as like this is like a clear turning point for like Ellie is kind of like realizing like the weight of all of this because like the all of the deaths of those characters first like one of them was by Tommy one of them was by uh, the Scars Jordan was the only other character we've killed at this point and he was a shithead anyway and like he was trying to kill Dina so like the whole scene just has a completely different tone and so I feel like this is the game is more overtly I think trying to separate the player from Ellie and be like hey understand that this is like not a hero's story per se and that like and i, and I think like the changes that are gonna happen in the game later like are given up op- giving you opportunities to maybe to relate to somebody else and that is kind of like what they're trying to play with here but it's just like the the scene itself like feels like it, it just feels markedly different in a way that i don't think that i don't know like it, it's very hard for me to relate to ellie in this moment even like as a person that like understands like what what compels it like if you love someone enough to let it would compel you to like seek out revenge in this way and you know why they would frame like i i think like it, it, it's not even the character that she's really here for it's like like there's something to be said about like and she's gonna die anyway you could have just like turned around and pieced out like all right fine yeah. whatever. And it's like if, if you if you wanted to still be an asshole to this person because i don't imagine turning into an infected is a peaceful painless process right. Like sis was already on her way out. There's no point. This is just gratuitous for at this mm. point. Like what? Mm-hmm. There, there's it serves nothing than to I guess sate her own bloodlust or I don't know. Maybe she feels like well I came this far. I can't leave empty-handed. Even though I'm leaving empty-handed, so might as well beat a black woman to death. I mean, and like in the next scene, we're gonna find out like she did get an answer, and that is like something that we don't see, but it's something that we are told because. We get right at the theater, and then Ellie like says that Abby's apparently hiding out under an aquarium, like clearly frazzled, and like also like that again. That's them trying to be like, "Hey, Ellie's starting to come to grips with what's happening." And then Dina takes her to the back and starts cleaning the wounds, and then Ellie's just like, "I made her talk," and I'm like, oh, "Man, like." And mm. I so two things that that struck me a lot about the scene were like, 
a, a as we've kind of already mentioned like the framing of it like you're not seeing what's happening you're just seeing ellie like growing increasingly covered in blood with like this red backdrop behind mm. her it's like very dramatic it's you know they've used the red lighting before but i felt it was more just like to look cool and have this very like, like dramatic scene you know dealing with like the 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 flares in the subways and stuff like that. Like that was, you know, that was interesting here, but here it felt like heavy handed. Mm. <laughs> like where they're just like, look at Ellie, look at what mm. she's doing. And like, right. and almost like the fact that it's turning and pointing us at this is being like, and, and then prompting us to hit the button to keep the scene going, to keep the game going is like, it, it, it feels like an indictment on the player mm. like, like it feels like right you're Making doing you party this. To this you're hitting this button like every time you hit the button and she comes back up she's looking right back at you again it's like you're you're causing this you're hitting that button with every hit and it's just like this is not something that the last of us was trying to do in the first game i felt like i don't there are definitely times where you have a qte event where you were trying to kill someone else right like that that is a last of us thing however in those situations you are fighting someone who is also trying to kill you who is like an armed combatant who will stab you back if you don't stab them and like that's there's a significant difference in the power dynamics between this situation and that situation and like oh it's it's just i uh, it, it it i understand so well now why so many people had issues with this game when it came out and like why there were reviews that have like critically examined like the 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 way that this game wants to almost start to bring the player into the violence because i do think it this is where it it starts to muddy the waters between this being a stage play that we are taking part in and moving along and playing a part in versus like now it feels like it's almost trying to start to address the player's role in it. And, you know, like, could you be complicit in this? I, well, and I, I, yeah. So, so what I'm saying, whatever end result this comes to, um, in this specific moment, in this specific time, I was looking at this and just being like, it's it's one of my least favorite tropes that video games can do because it almost always gets mishandled of this like oh maybe you're a monster because you did this thing that was bad and it's like yeah but the video game told me i had to do it like you can't just opt it's it's not like i get a paragon or renegade choice here like there's i you, you i have to hit the square button to play the video game it's like um you know i've had this issue with other stuff i feel like a lot of games have attempted to do it and even the ones that do it better like so you know like spec ops or, or stuff like that still it ends up feeling a little bit hollow because at the end of the day like yeah you're playing the video game like that's i'm doing the thing that you're telling me to do and then getting mad at me when i do it or, or like trying to make me feel bad in some way for having done or feel remorse in some way and I think when you muddy that water and it turns from it, it turns from being like, okay, Ellie is having a complex character evolution and I'm, you know, how do I feel about that? You know, is Ellie, what's Ellie going through? And it turns from that being a character to like, now Ellie is a little bit your avatar too. And that line gets blurry. And that's where I think the tone and the messaging starts to get all mushed up. Uh, well, yeah. 
No, Ash, if you were going to follow up on that, you can go ahead. No, I'm just like, I just, you know. Mm. Uh, I, my, my, and I mean, I, I think that sort of idea that like Last of Us Part Two gets metatextual is something that is maybe more easy to talk about holistically when a certain change happens in another episode or two. Um, but I, cause I think my feeling about that is like, I mean, I've, I've said already on multiple episodes, I, I think like in a linear story, like kind of like blaming the player for shit is disingenuous and like goes against the themes of what the, the game is play, saying. And like Naughty Dog even said shit like that in their marketing. And um, for for me, like what makes it, 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 I, I get what you're saying about the scene in particular, but it I in terms of like the whole game, I don't think that that, that sort of, reading holds water because the format of the game doesn't support it like i think that like again like i i i'm gonna leave it on i'll leave it on that for now because like we we can't talk holistically about that until we can talk about other things that come later because i I do agree like and as i said even in my notes like this i think is like one of the weirdest muddying of like everything that this game is doing um even if and i it feels like distinctly misrepresentative of how the game's format works to talk about what these characters are doing, why they're doing it, how we should feel about it, how we should relate to it or not. Um, so I will leave it on that note until we get there because like, I, it's almost like I don't want to defend this scene or defend this scene in the midst of trying to defend the larger game because I don't think th- this is so un- almost uncharacteristic of like the things that it's trying to do, in my opinion. That's why, that's why I brought it up earlier because I think that even if a game does eventually get a good message about something across. They can still misstep in the yeah. process of doing it. And they can still have moments where it falls short. I think this is definitely like talk about a game that was like really doing well for me up to this point. You know, I, I mentioned that I had some lingering, you know, like, Oh, I wish we had more time in Jackson. And, you know, I wish it felt a little less video gamey, but those are like very minor things in the grand scheme of things where I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's, I guess this isn't that kind of game. And I'd like to see what that kind of game looks like. But, uh, yeah, this was the moment where I was like, what the fuck is this game doing? (laughs) um, And I think that's what I'm carrying forward going into future episodes is thinking about in terms of, and and again, this is because I've been playing, we've been talking about Mass Effect recently, is the idea of what is the character to the player? Are they, are you playing a character? Are you playing an avatar? And I think that that line is an interesting thing to examine because in they can elicit different emotions from the player whether they're supposed to be something that, i mean we we kind of throw role-playing game around very like frivolously in in video games already but like in the literal sense of role-playing are you playing a role like are you playing a character that you have defined you know like you're playing D and this is my D character and they're this way so you could play an evil D character that does evil shit and you might not, you know, necessarily believe in all the things that character does, but you want to play that character honestly so they can be the most compelling version of themselves versus are you role-playing in the sense of you're self-inserting or you're trying to make decisions that line up with your own worldview or at least make decisions that you feel like you have agency in their outcomes. That's two very different things to me. Um, and I think when you have a situation like this, I. I almost do wonder if this scene would be any different if you didn't have to hit a button prompt to move it along. And if that's where I'm getting hitched up and I think it would still have a lot of context issues around like what Ash mentioned that this is 
a character of color getting done wrong mm-hmm. in a game that in, in a series that has historically done that a lot. Yeah. 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 And it would still have a lot of those context issues. And now it's just adding like the button prompt just adds an additional layer of layer of gratuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like needless gratuity. Yeah. Yeah. It's gratuity. You are hitting like you have to hit it multiple times. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It's like, like I said, every time Ellie pops back up and it's like, I almost want to start that scene again and see like what happens if I don't hit the button. Like if I just let it sit there, is Ellie just going to stare at me saying you can turn this game off, but if you want to see the rest of the story, you got to hit that square button. And that just, it leaves a a taste in my mouth that I'm going to have a hard time getting out. Ash, any, any closing thoughts about what we, what we've had here? I, Glad that you guys enjoy the game. Um, I'm glad <laughs> for for all of its problems. I had, you know, I enjoyed it technically. Mm. It's a technically pretty game. I enjoyed uh, like going through the parts with um, like the boba cafe and mm. stuff like that, uh, where you could find those. I thought those were like neat little things. I liked riding on your horse. Mm-hmm. I, I think I remember writing about it uh, when it like first came out. Is like just give me give me that. Like mm. take away all of the you know ridiculous meditations on like human suffering or whatever and just give me this thing where you know you've got to get from one part of one place to another like you know cross-country road trip again on the back of a horse and just seeing all these beautiful vistas and you know occasionally having to kill infected and shit like that do do that let's do Mm. that instead of what the hell this was and like i i'm content i understand that people enjoy this game i'm not one of those people i'm content to leave it where it is um I think this is one of those uh, one of those pet peeves. I'm like, this is you know, when people are like, this is like what video games are mm-hmm. art, and you have a revolutionary protagonist and all that stuff, and this is you know all that shit. I'm like, mm, is it though? Mm. But I I don't want to get into fights with the Last of Us stands because <laughs> they can be pretty um, fervent, mm. and I don't have time for that. So y'all, I'm I'm good love. Y'all enjoy. <laughs> That's my take on it. Mm. Yeah. I find myself more and more as I play this game and think about other zombie games and stuff that I'm just like, are there zombie games that can exist without like diving deep into the realms of human suffering? Is that a thing that can happen out, you know, in the, in the zombie genre? I I honestly don't know. I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. Like you have kind of the goofy stuff that's like sunset overdrive and stuff like that, where they just kind of go all wacky saints rowy with it. And that's, you know that that works for what it is because the tone is never trying to be anything else but like the idea of zombies you know it can it ever be independent from like just also wallowing in human suffering and misery i don't know i'm not sure it's a depressing genre overall <laughs> ken can we play a happy game after this sure find one for me well, when we wire your mouth shut, we'll be talking about Fallout New Vegas. So that's... Is that any better, though? Yeah, it's a chipper game. It's better. <laughs> yes. mm. um, oh, Lord. That is it for, for day two. We have a ton of other stuff to talk about uh, as, as I try to buy time and pull open my Slack because I had the wrong Slack open by accident. Um, but as always, we are a 
retrospective podcast, we are covering The Last of Us Part 2. We did do three excellent Mass Effect roundtables that Ken and I were both very happy with. And Ash was the guest on one of them, was the guest on the most recent Mass Effect 3 one. It was very, very good. Yeah, so go go check it out. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, those are all up on our feed now. They should all be live and good for everyone to listen to. But as always, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash normandyfm, where if you go in back at any level, you can get into our backer Discord where you can hang out and chat. And we've also got a $5 tier where you can get the episodes early as soon as Ken is done editing them. And if you back at the highest tier, you get your name shouted out every week on the podcast. And this week, that list is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just the Wedge of Destiny, Zach James, and Kevin Hux. Thank you all so much for contributing and keeping this thing going. We appreciate it very much. Ash, one more time for the folks at home. Where can they find all the things you do? Uh, you can find me um, frequently yelling about The Last of Us and how much it fucking sucks <laughs> on Kotaku.com. <laughs> I promise I haven't done that in a while, so you've been granted a reprieve. Uh, you can also uh, hear me yell about it more recently on my Twitter uh, at AdAstra. That's A-D-A-S-H-T-R-A. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was it was great, and I, we I was really glad to get your perspective on this episode because mm-hmm. last of us. I was glad two. to be here. I hope you guys um do something that I've played so I can come back. Yeah, I haven't played Fallout, so you have to do something different. Well, <laughs> mm, we we might talk after we hit stop on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but until then, we'll see you next time for Ellie Day Three in Seattle. You know how many i think we're just gonna spend this whole game playing ellie i mean it feels like we're just gonna do nothing but play as ellie so we'll see her day three next week on normandy fm